Welcome to a special edition of Lunch with a Trojan, part of our Tunnel Vision program family, I guess you could say. We got the old P, Petros Papadakis, here on the show. Petros, thanks for uh, joining us, man. It's my pleasure, and uh, thanks for having me. And uh, why is it special? Is it more special than normal? Uh, it's pretty special when you got a, a legend <laughs> like you coming on here. Come on, man. Like, I don't. I, uh, so we do appreciate you, you coming on here. You can follow him on Twitter at the old P. Uh, also, the Petros and Money Show uh, on Twitter. You can AM570 here in Los Angeles with the Petros and Money Show. But he also does work with uh, a lot of Fox Sports. I guess that family of stations doing uh, college football uh, analysis. So, uh, yeah, you can find P all over the place here in L.A. Yeah, I'm uh, still working. <laughs> 2000, very grateful. I've been with the same entity, basically, Fox Sports since 01. And uh, been doing the Petros and Money Show on iHeartRadio, which used to be Clear Channel, uh, that's since, uh, that's about 15 years now. So wow. very, very blessed and very grateful and getting old, you know, in front of everybody in the city, <laughs> just like you. But you look good. Oh, thanks. So do you. Yeah, Ryan asked me when we were prepping for this and, you know, getting the lights right so I don't look like too bad like a vampire. <laughs> uh, even though I do, Ryan's like, uh, so are you keeping healthy? <laughs> You know, I'm sure you don't ask like, you know, a Dory Jackson or anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, no, we've known each other a long time. I mean, it's, it's funny <laughs> when you think about that, because like I first met you, I mean, when you were at USC and I think I was, we might've talked about this when you came in the studio. I think I was like your first like post football playing interview. And then when you started to get into, I came into the, your dad's restaurant, the Papadakis Taverna, and we did like a long interview there Jeez. and uh, way back when. So this had to be what? Yeah, like I mean, it's a long time ago, but I probably sounded like a huge jackass. No, that no, you were different. <laughs> you were always great, people. So, um, yeah, I, I wanted to have you on the show anyway, but then we've had some little. I don't know, snipes. Like you kind of take a few snipes at me on Twitter and stuff. Oh, and it's so all. Like, uh, come we, on. I know that's what people are like. I'm like, look, Petros and I like. I think he still likes me. I don't know, but it wasn't a, a thing. I love me. everybody. I'm, I'm a loving person. I'm not a. I'm really not an angry guy. The way. Uh, Sometimes I sound, you know, I'm very loud and have a giant face and uh, that sometimes I don't really realize, you know, how I'm coming off. But uh, no, no, it's all love. Of course, I have my platforms, uh, but I don't uh, I don't begrudge anybody, especially if their success, their fandom or their enthusiasm for uh, whatever's going on. So yeah. I'm not I'm not that guy. I'm a libertarian in many ways. Yeah. Well, we had you in the studio last year. Uh, there was the Beachlight Festival, I think, yeah. promoting. Uh, did you do that remotely this year? Uh, like did, a they did like a speakeasy uh, okay. thing where we had different bands on. It was pretty cool, actually. A uh, guy from the Foo Fighters, people oh. like that. A uh, guy from Unwritten Law, you know, different bands. And, uh, the, and Jimmy from, uh, 
you know everybody, all the South Bay music people, uh, Jimmy from Pennywise. And it was cool. Uh, I, I did it like this from the house. And, you know, they screamed at me the whole time, like, throw it to this, throw it to that. You know, but it was a, it was a fun experience. And uh, I hope we get back to it because it really was a, a cool thing. You know, being from the South Bay uh, my whole life, uh, it's really, really gratifying to see uh, Willie Nelson playing in the Redondo Beach Marina with the backdrop of, of a place that we all love. Uh, and, you know, everybody's there enjoying a show and not as many phones, you know, filming it because it's people that are our age. Uh, so uh, it was really it, it really was a great event. And I hope it. I know they have a contract. So uh, I, I hope to be doing it again soon when yeah. we can. Yeah, when we get back to normal, which is I don't know if we're ever going to be back to normal. I mean, you guys, you, you know, you guys are on the radio hours every day. Um, first, it's the COVID nineteen stuff. You talk about sports yeah. every day; that's gone. Like the Beach Life Festival is gone. Then you have the, the you know the George Floyd murder happens, and you know the the country's been going crazy. There's a lot of uh, you know understandable outrage and all that. How have you addressed? I mean, maybe both parts of it, where you're not talking really about sports that are happening, and then with the, all the, everything that's been going on just the last few days, especially in the city. Yeah, uh, and we're right in the middle of the ladder, you know, and uh, yesterday, I can't lie to you, I was really nervous, you know, before we went on the air. I've been doing it a while. You know, the first uh, year I started doing radio and TV was 2001, which was obviously 9-11. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was like two weeks into my media career. You couldn't call it a career then. My career was as a waiter at the Taverna. So uh, that was crazy, you know, and I think that helped me through a lot of different things. And, and I have a very strong radio partner uh, in tone and being tonally appropriate, which is I, a lot of people that are watching this are probably laughing. But it is something I think about because I am kind of a goofy guy, especially on the radio. So when something's going on and people are hurting, I mean, just think about this year. We had the Kobe Bryant tragedy. Yeah. We had uh, we had obviously the pandemic, and now we have this this social unrest, which many of us from Los Angeles remember uh, from 1992. And I remember, you know, being on the roof of the Taverna and my dad and everybody freaking out. And, you know, manhole covers going through the windows. And I remember what those conversations were like with my teammates, you know, back then and uh, in the locker room and OJ and all the different stuff we used to talk about. And it's very interesting because uh, now a lot of those conversations are on social media. Yeah. You know, a lot of the stuff that I heard said, you know, 30 years ago uh, from guys and saw, you know, with my own eyes and my own experience, you know, being around primarily black guys, uh, as a college football player, especially, and uh, growing up where I did, not as many, uh, not as much diversity, but down at the restaurant, which was five minutes, you know, from our house where we basically grew up, you know, we were exposed to a lot of different things. So uh, the conversation doesn't feel new, you know, and I think we can, I can lean on my experiences as a young person. Certainly, don't want to offend anybody. Yeah, and. Uh, try to have as much empathy as possible. You know, first, when it comes to the COVID thing, you know, it's a wild deal because I've always kind of felt like, you know, for better or worse, I have a lasso or kind of like a, 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 a chain of truth, you know, at least in my mind, over a situation. Like, I feel like I know what's happening. And that helps me communicate, you know, in our job. 
that one I don't, you know, I, there's a lot of people I love and trust that think I'm crazy for going into the studio every day. And I go into the studio because the show doesn't sound good if you're not in the studio, you know, you know that. Uh, <laughs> and you hear these shows that aren't in the studio and they sound bad. So, you know, we go in the studio, we're together. They emptied out the building and we've been doing that for three months. I've been driving to Burbank every day. Uh, so, uh, and I have people I love and trust that really, really thought that was a bad idea. I have people that think I'm crazy when I wear a mask, you know, into a store, yeah. you know, and those are people I love and trust too. And, you know, I'm usually like always drowning somewhere in the middle. And, uh, it's, uh, that was a frustrating one. This one, you know, uh, it's, it's not easy to be humorous about this kind of stuff, but, you know, police chases, uh, J.R. Smith stalking a dude on the street, you know, different stuff like that. You can pull little threads and just try to get people through their day. You know, on our radio station, we're really lucky because we have KFI, you know, right down the hall and KFI covers news. I mean, some of their shows uh, are opinion shows, just like any network. But the news people at KFI, led by Chris Little and Steve Gregory and Robin Bertolucci, their program director, and their uh, their GM, uh, it is they're absolutely impeccable, and we can draw from them. We have updates from them. We can uh, send people down there if they need the latest on public safety and health. So uh, it's an advantage. And you know, over the years, you know, kids get shot at at Saugus High. You know, it's hard to come on the air and you know play your clown horn. You know, yeah. and and you know we've that's been our experience over the years, and that's why. We, you know, we're paid to try to have the right tone in situations like this. And, you know, before the show started yesterday, I didn't know what our show was going to be like, you know, and I don't know what our show is going to be like today. Mick Cronin's coming on uh, right in the middle of the three o'clock hour. He has a message. Uh, he's a really powerful speaker and a great guy. Uh, and we'll go from there, you know, but uh, it is an interesting time, you know, to do it. But I do feel confident and qualified like once this whole thing started, like I knew what we had to do. I don't want to be the guy predicting when sports are coming back or, you know, who's right or who's wrong. I try to be the guy that brings people through on the radio side of this stuff with humor and with, uh, with, you know, camaraderie. We're a really inclusive show. You know, if you come to our events, you know, we get three, 400 people and, you know, we get guys that run hedge funds and, you know, uh, people that are unemployed and everywhere in between of every race, uh, creed and culture. And we pride ourselves on that. You yeah. know, that's how my dad's restaurant used to look, you know, uh, on a Saturday night when you looked around the room. So uh, for for us, you know, I feel like we know what to do and we just have faith in our abilities to, to do it. Yeah. I mean, if you I mean, there's been so much I guess I've been encouraged by I mean, seeing protesters that are you know peaceful taking a knee with a sheriff or like Anthony Lynn had something in the LA times today. That was great. Like Herm Edward, like all the different, you know, kind of people you look up to in the sports world. A lot of people have just said great things. What have you felt that reaction has been like? And have you liked the reaction from, you know, maybe the PAC 12 and USC specifically, it seems like everyone's doing a pretty good job, like saying the right stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, some people, but some people's virtue signaling is some people's, uh, grandstanding is some people's, a uh, great, uh, wonderful, powerful statement, you know, and I fall, you know, uh, we tried to get Anthony Lynn on the show yesterday because we knew he'd have something uh, really important to say. And uh, we're working on him uh, later in the week. Uh, if you're a college football coach, you know, your job is to help 
like a big part of your job is to help young African-American men. You know, that's a huge part of uh, of what high school coaches do. You know, getting 12 guys, you know, for every guy that goes to SC or University of Washington or LSU, I love the programs like Narbonne under Manny Douglas when he was there or Sarah, which is a private school, but Scott Altenberg, you know, they get five guys going to Dixie State you know, or going to Southern Oregon, you know, guys you might not hear about on, on uh, the news, but, you know, those guys have a chance and they're going to school. So, you know, I understand uh, all the messages. I'm encouraged like you, you know, when I saw, because in 92, I didn't see any cops kneeling with protesters. No. You, know, you, you didn't see that type of thing or you didn't, you know, I remember the Rodney King message, which was a message of unity, which is a lot like George Floyd's brother's message, you know, which was a message of unity, and uh, I mean, I remember a lot of those conversations and I hope we're farther along, uh, but a lot of it for me, you know, feels the same. It's a real conversation. It's been a real conversation about the police and this country for, you know, over a hundred years. And uh, it hasn't gone anywhere. It feels new to young people, I'm sure, like it did to me in 1992, but it didn't feel new to the people, you know, from the 60s who saw the Watts riots. Uh, I guess the biggest difference is the riot or the riots or the uh, unrest or the protest, they did not go above the tent when when we were younger. You know, oh, they, yeah. never, they never went up there. And that's why, uh, I mean, and it was because there was a peaceful protest in Pan Pacific Park and then it splintered from there and we got, you know, John Cusack running around with his phone and, you know, J.R. Smith, you know, socking people in the streets. You know, that didn't happen in 92. In 92, you know, guys like Reginald Denny were getting pulled out of their car. Right. And having, you know, just unspeakable things happen. And it was happening all over the city to, to people of all races. So, uh, yes, that I think that is a little bit different and more encouraging. Um, during the weekend, I felt pretty, pretty discouraged. Yeah. But again, you know, for a guy like me, it's a time for empathy and just to try to help people kind of to move on through it and uh, hear what people are saying and, and hope for for some kind of change. But I also come from the perspective of a small business owner and, you know, uh, people that, you know, depended on a small business and we had one restaurant, it was our whole livelihood, you know, and and uh, it's tough to see people's businesses threatened, you know, especially small businesses owner, yeah. small business owners. It's hard to transition from that, but we want to talk. Uh, you know, one thing is true though, I do want to oh, say just sure. people be better. You know, we, in 92, you looked out the window, the city was on fire. Yeah, I was you know, at USC at the time. I mean, it yeah. was burning and, all around me. Yeah, and that's not happening. You know, right. the media does a great job of covering it, but you know, it also gives people kind of a, a different idea of what's actually going on. Most of the protests are very peaceful. Yeah. Um, well, you came. Uh, I, I mean, I've been thinking of you for a while, but the uh, you went on to Colin Cowherd's show uh, over the weekend, and I thought it was you know really good. There was kind of a whole segment, I guess you could say of the USC talk. And uh, so I want people to check that out. Oh, let me put up a picture of you guys uh, doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like that I one? Like I'm going to eat him. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's like mimicking you. What's going yeah, on? We're having, a, uh, we're having a stare down. Nice. Uh, They're mad I didn't dress up. God, look at my gullet. <laughs> well, you're in better shape now, I think. Okay. Um, but we, when we were coming on, we were talking about, um, you know, both of us, when I started the website, you know, I was like, it was kind of a hobby and became a real business. And now it's my livelihood during the Pete Carroll era. And like your kind of broadcast career sort of happened along the, the same way. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, you know, uh, and to get it, to get there, uh, you know, a friend of mine, a, a great 
friend to, to sports and writing and, and literature. I mean, and I don't use that word lightly, but one of the great writers in the history of our city, Chris Dufresne, passed away. Yeah. And uh, Chris Dufresne was an inspiration to me, you know, when I had no idea what I was doing on the old 1540, the ticket, you know, there was a lot of people that helped me. Uh, Gary Paskowitz, you know, I know somebody that you value a lot, uh, being one of them, but uh, Chris Dufresne uh, passed away last week and we were remembering him and, and just how great he was with college football. And we had Bill Plasky on the show and Bill said, you know, uh, I, you know, he started the college football craze. You know, he started the West Coast college football craze. And I thought back and, you know, my career started in 01. And obviously when you're playing at USC, you live in a bubble where USC football is the most important thing in the world and there's nothing else. And that was really before the internet took off and social media. So, you know, I didn't live in a world from when Pete Carroll kind of took over till pretty deep into my career into Kiffin and all that. That's not me, by the way. Uh, <laughs> was it not? That's the punter. Come on. <laughs> That's I, a freaking punter, Ryan. I know. That's a punter. I know. I know. That was a little my little job. That's, you. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> it does come uh, up though when you Google your name. That one comes yeah, up. That's a white guy in 35. Okay. I know. Sorry about that. Uh, I thought it'd be funny. Christ almighty. <laughs> uh, anyway, I didn't know anything other than. You know, until like Kiffin was like into his mid-career at SC as the head coach, like the USC football has got to be is the biggest deal in the world. Yeah. And now, you know, it's not, you know, I mean, everybody used to call me to talk USC football all the time. It's not as popular as it used to be. You know, it's over in a lot of ways. And it's been that way for a decade. And obviously, there's a lot of reasons for it. I don't know how deep you want to get into it, but it really has been a slow kind of deflating of a balloon, you know, ever, ever since Lane with yeah. a couple of bright spots, you know, like Sam Darnold or, or the Matt Barkley year. And it's really unfortunate because, you know, for me, I'm a guy like, uh, like Bill said, West coast football, you know, when I left doing the USC radio gig, which was right after they won the Rose bowl and claimed uh, half the championship, uh, I started doing national games for, for, uh, the regionals on Fox, you know, we get now SC Fresno State game, you know, the, the game with Marshawn Lynch driving the thing, you know, the game with Barry Tompkins. I did that for 10 years and was so grateful to have that job. And and it was the Pac-10 game of the week. And I fell in love with the conference doing that. You know, I fell in love with all these other places that need USC to be great in order for them to be healthy, you know. And it really is one of the two things, uh, primary things that's wrong with West Coast football is that USC is not competing nationally on the field, you know, and, and that's, you know, your business is recruiting, reporting, and that's always, you know, with the exception of last year, that's always a lucrative thing for USC. It never hasn't been. Uh, their problem has been player development, clearly. And, uh, and it kills the West Coast. It's one of the ter it's it's the only quick fix we have for West Coast football is to immediately make USC football relevant again. And I'm not talking about with all due respect. And it's your work. I mean, this is a fan site. You know, it's your job to celebrate USC football. We have a little fun going back and forth, but this is a fan site. You know, people that come here want to see, for the most part, USC football celebrated. You know, Gary Paskowitz 
was is one of my dearest friends, God rest his soul. You know, I understood his work. You know, I get it. What really offends me is when the local media is starting to kind of acquiesce because they're getting some access and they're also operating like a fan site. That's offensive uh, to me, but we can get into that. But overall, you know, for me, if USC football's sick, the West Coast is sick. USC football is sick. They have been for a long time. The quick fix is a relevant head coach, a la Bob Stoops or all the people that were rumored to have gone down the road with Mike Bone in this weird black hole of a purgatory time, you know, before uh, b- before the end of the season and before the Holiday Bowl, when USC decided to keep Clay Helton. They were really talking to real head coaches. And if Bob Stoops is the SC head coach, you know, you hire Bob Stoops, not just because it's Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops goes and finds Lincoln Riley because he's not scared of a great coordinator uh, at an ECU, you know, uh, make the arguments you want for Graham Harrell. That's not the same offense. You know, it, it really isn't. And to me, you know, it doesn't work at a power school like USC. We can talk about that too. Yeah. Uh, you hire Urban Meyer. What does Urban Meyer do? You know, he's not, he's not too proud to hire real assistants or to have the, the, the gavel taken out of his hands so somebody else can try to hire real assistants. You know, Urban went and dug out Tom Herman, you know, Ryan Day, Alex Grinch, you know. I mean, the list goes on and on. You don't just hire those coaches because it's that guy. But, yeah, you get immediate respect. You get all your national games back. Suddenly when USC has Washington State visit at the Coliseum or something, it's a national game in prime time. And you you revitalize West Coast football just by doing that. Now, there's a whole bunch of other problems that'll take a, that probably are not uh, solvable at this point because the value of the conference has plummeted yeah. because of Larry Scott's leadership so, so grossly. But, you know, it's not, it's, it's really hard for me this off season to kind of go through the tiresome motions of the celebration of, you know, this small victory and that small victory and the media blitz clearly that the USC athletic department is trying to put, you know, with positivity into the air, uh, and I understand that, you know, they need to build some bridges. <laughs> I mean, the, the last three athletic directors, you know, pissed a lot of people off. Uh, one of them lost control of his athletic department, and that's why they haven't hired any coaches that have control since Pete Carroll, because he took the control from Mike Garrett, and it led to horrible, horrible uh, sanctions for the school. I mean, that's what happened. They couldn't control Pete. And things things dissipated from there, and ever since then, you can't. They haven't hired a coach that is allowed to bring in his own staff. Really, that's allowed to pay his own staff. That you know has a call on who gets to sit in the plane, and that's why USC to me has kind of become like a gray gardens. You know, it's this beautiful house on the hill that's rotting from the inside out, and a bunch of aristocrats going crazy on the inside, running around sending tweets. You know, they get on the field and they get their ass knocked off the ball, you know, by the Alabamas, the Ohio States, you know, the teams they're supposed to be competing with on the field. I mean, it's almost a joke when we've seen it. And to me, you know, there's no quick fix for that with this head coach. And I don't know how to make it any clearer, you know. And I'm I'm not trying to be mean, you know, but I mean – I remember the celebration of T. Martin as an offensive genius and a great recruiter. You know, where's T. Martin? You know, I mean, we go through this every year. 
And programs do that. I get it. But at a certain point, you know, enough has got to be enough for USC fans. And I think they're way past critical mass, you know. Uh, and it's unfortunate, not just for SC, but, you know, for everybody in the conference. Yeah, I think that the, you can tell the peristyle, like our message board, the tone of it. I mean, the last couple of years, obviously, it's been bad. And it was hard. Once they brought in an athletic director, when they bring in Mike Bone, um, some people are like, oh, maybe this is you know hopeful because you actually have a, an experienced athletic director as opposed to a former football player. They've hit a bunch of, I think they've hit a bunch of signals, singles. They've, they've done some good things, but yeah, like you said, they're still a pretty big problem. Do you find, have you found like, well, you know, I could see how this would work. Like they just hired like Chris Claiborne and Hayes Pillard, you know, yeah. kind of small wins like that. Do you get any optimism for USC fans seeing some of the things that have been happening lately, I guess? One, with all due respect to Hayes, who I really like and was a great player, uh, I didn't like the double celebration of, look at these two guys. You know, Chris Claiborne is one of the great defensive players in the history of the university. Yeah. You know, he, he didn't play uh, He didn't play in the most lucrative time for USC football, but believe me, <laughs> I've seen that guy do superhuman things against the best of the best. You know, whatever happened in his pro career, uh, and he played in the NFL for, 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 for quite some time, but uh, Chris is really one of the greatest football players I've ever been on the field. Like he was really special and a great leader and a great teammate. And I love Chris Claiborne. You know, I, I didn't like seeing the double highlight film because to me, that's like, you know, putting uh, Ronnie Lott and, uh, you know, name a safety, you know, Cleveland Coulter on the same level. You know, they're both good. They're not, the, you know, not really the same. I love Cadillac Cleveland Coulter, but, you know, uh, and he was good, but he wasn't Ronnie Law. No. Uh, so anyway, yes, like, look, USC, as you know, because you cover all the little things, was way behind yeah. uh, as far as just having uh, the right recruiting set up, having enough people to actually do the work of a big time program, you know, which was part of the archaic, stubborn nature of a bunch of people that still wanted control. And a lot of those people are still there. Let's be clear, you know, let's be honest. Uh, Mike Bone got hired, most people figured for one thing, and he didn't do it. And now they've set up a structure to where if Clay Helton, who doesn't seem to have any power anymore, uh, is fired, uh, which maybe could have happened right after the uh, Holiday Bowl, because that was a blowout, uh, then Graham Harrell is suddenly your head coach or Todd Orlando. You know, nobody knows what promises were made to those guys. And uh, I know Todd Orlando from, from doing Texas games and I respect him as a coach, but you know, you didn't, you didn't just hire Venables either, you know? And I think that's media gaslighting and over celebration. I remember when Clancy Pendergast was peddled as a great innovator of defense and, you know, all these things were said about him and you know what? There was a time in my career when he was at working at Cal that I thought Clancy Pendergast was a great defensive innovator. You know, this stuff is all circular and it doesn't mean the guy coached. I just, I am always a temperer of hype, you know? Yeah. And, you know, to me, it's like, okay, great. You have some coordinators that you're paying so like a more uh, comparable salary, not really comparable to what a guy like uh, Bob Stoops was going to bring in, but you have these coordinators that you're paying uh, better. You've hired some from film guys. You, you have a recruiting department that's a little better. You know, you have an athletic director that, you know, 
can actually, uh, however, if you like it or not, you know, shape a message and, and bring a message to the media and has the energy to do a bunch of interviews and, you know, is not a country club snob, you know, Hall of Famer country club snob. And that's what we've had, you know, and those aren't ADs, you know, those people can't administrate. Uh, and that was a big problem, clearly. So, you know, those are steps, but, you know, to me, it, it doesn't get USC off the mat. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't really help the perception of West Coast football, you know, at all, you know, despite, you know, whatever puff pieces are written. And then they are. And, you know, that's what this time of, of year is about. But, you know, I resent a lot. And, and Mike Bone is, look, the LA Times ruined USC, right? Not just the football program. I mean, the LA Times shot a harpoon in the university. They did with the Pulafito scandal, with the, uh, the the gynecologist, which was awful uh, scandal. You know, I have family members involved in that. Uh, you know, my whole family, we've, we've lived this. You know, all these terrible things that have happened that make the athletic department problems look minuscule. You know, the LA Times did that. And whether Mac Nikias is still on campus or not, you know, that's probably an issue. But the fact that somebody at the LA at the LA Times and somebody at USC is building a bridge is not a bad thing. You know, my thing about the beat writer, Ryan Karchi is, you know, I don't mind you making out with Mike Bone, you know, just button your shirt up when you come out of the office, you know, don't make it so obvious, you know, you know, I mean, just a, a little bit, a little bit of a, a little bit of both sides, you know, uh, and or write about a player, you know, I, I don't want to read a, a seven-page documentary about an assistant athletic director as if that's going to get fans excited about. So, I mean, my God in heaven. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up.
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to a part two of uh, Lunch with a Trojan with, we got the old P, Petros uh, Papadakis. <laughs> so, so I don't know what happened last time. We got cut off yesterday. I know what happened. What happened, Petra? I started getting too close to the fire, too close to the truth, and we got jammed. <laughs> then he then he crushes me on his uh, radio show with Petros and Buddy earlier today. We, you know, if you might know Petra, if you don't know Petros, I got a comment from Hot Rod here on YouTube. Captain the worst USC football team in school history. They're making a run at me, though. He's very. <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> He's very proud of that fact. But we do appreciate you uh, coming on, man. So. Petros, you know, he's been doing this a long time. He's really good at his job. He's also really smart. And so one of the things he dropped yesterday, and my, I didn't even catch it, uh, but Dan Weber, our beat writer, caught it. He mentioned uh, the movie Grey Gardens. It's like from 1975. I actually freaking went out and rented that last night, Petros, just so I could see what the heck it was. Did it I seem like, I, did, who was Lynn Swan to you? <laughs> <laughs> it was so, that was such a weird but I get I get your reference now. But yeah, like there's two old ladies that were like living on, you know, in New York, like in the yeah, that was it was nuts. But living was, in the past, yeah, they were definitely living in the past. But like four <laughs> bucks on Amazon, I don't know, I'll ever get that back. But it was fine, you know. It, was, it just I've kept waiting for something like different to happen, but it just sort of was like kind of like I was watching Hoarders now on A and E or something like that. Like it was a little weird, you know. Well, I'm a little weird, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> I could, I mean, I could recommend movies all night for people if they want to. I just watched uh, Night Moves with Gene Hackman okay. and uh, young James Woods, and it is unbelievable. He plays an ex-pro football player, ex-NFL player. The, the movie starts in the Coliseum at a Rams game okay. and ends up in Florida. That's a great detective movie, Night Moves. Uh I recently watched uh, Party Girl with Sid Charisse from the 50s. <laughs> Pretty good. I like, uh, I like old movies. Or if you want to watch somebody die at the end of the movie, like a huge, prolonged, like hilarious, but not supposed to be hilarious death, watch John Travolta die at the end of the Punisher movie. Okay. Uh, yeah. The one with the, uh, gosh, I forget the name of the, yeah, Thomas Jane, the, okay. that actor. Uh, that one, that's that's a, a great cheesy death scene. And you can just look it up on YouTube. You don't even have to watch the whole movie. And it's like five minutes of Travolta death. It's it's pretty awesome. Nice. Like I like to say, take that, Travolta, you furry dinosaur. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Petrus knows you, you entered You entered the conversation. I right? did. I'm this sorry. is my fault. But you had dropped that reference. I didn't even know what it was. Dan Weber pointed it out, so then I had to go watch the movie. Um, but we were – so when, I guess – LA Times bots got onto our feed and stopped you from going off. So no, not the Times. Who do you think? Oh, you, oh, you think it was USC? Bonarino. Bone. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Why do you call him Bonarino? You know, it's like. Uh, why do I call him Bonarino? It's something yeah. Mike. Well, first of all, it, his name is Mike Bone, and it's better than Fred Rogan's uh, Mike Bad to the Bone, which is weak. Uh, I call him the Bonarino because my father. I'm disclosing too much, but my father has long mocked my mother for gnawing on bones of like steaks and stuff that are left by the family uh, at the table. She will gnaw the bone clean, or as my father says, the old bonerino. 
Gotcha. And what he'll do is he'll find the bone, which looks, you know, pristine when she's done with it. And, uh, and he'll take a picture of it and send it clandestinely to my brothers and me and my sister and, uh, and some of the in-laws. And, and uh, he'll say, you know, my life's at stake. Don't share this. But your mother got after the old Bonarino. So, uh, you know, when U.S. And that's, you know, been decades in my family. So when USC hired Mike Bone, for God's sakes, uh, it just got, it was too easy. All right. It's not meant as an insult towards Mike Boner. The old Bonarino? No. Insult? What are you talking about? Okay. Well, just, you know. I mean, I call myself the burrito from San Pedro. You know, I mean, come on. It can't be worse than that. Yeah. So anyway, I had asked you about like, hey, there was, you know, Mike Bone and and the the department had hit a bunch of singles, seen things were going in the right direction. You kind of, you know, you went on, I mean. You uh, you were you pretty long winded a little bit, but you started to get into some of the local media coverage. So I don't know if you want to pick up uh, with that. Well, I, I think it's if you're a USC fan and you're rooting for the success of USC, it's a step in the right direction. And I think this is what we started to talk about when we got cut off yesterday. Uh, and it's important, you know, and it's about the university's health, top to bottom. USC got harpooned, burned down. Uh, reputation soiled by the LA Times. And it wasn't really about the athletic department. It was about the doctor. It was both doctors, Dr. Pulifito, his his predecessor, or the guy after him at, uh, at Keck, who also had to be removed. It was about the gynecologist. It, it, was, it was awful. And it was about USC's response to those things. And Max Nikias's response and Caruso's response. And the board of trustees response and the fact that USC has this nebulous board of trustees that seems arrogant, out of touch and ridiculous and tone deaf. Uh, all of those stories came out of the LA Times and they won Pulitzers for it. Matt Hamilton and, and people like that did. Uh, Nathan Fenno. I mean, they were all over this reporting. So what needed to be done for USC, and it was very hard, Max Nikias couldn't do it because he's too prideful. Lynn Swan couldn't do it. He was too prideful. Pat Hayden had an ally in Bill Dwyer, but he was too prideful to swallow it, really. And they needed to build a bridge back to USC. USC needed to build a bridge back to the Times, at least through the athletic department and football. And they've done that. They, Mike Bone has done a good job of that. It's just a little obvious to me. The new beat writer, Ryan Karchi, writes like he writes for you which is a, a pay site, a fan site, which has a different angle than, at least in my uh, view, should be a different angle than what the LA Times has. Uh, so that, that's been my angle, but I think that is one of the better things that Mike Bone has done. I mean, I don't buy it. I mean, it's not gonna sell me. I think they missed a great opportunity to move on from this ridiculous era of the last decade of USC football. It's not gonna sell me, but, to USC fans and people around the country that need to celebrate USC because it gets clicks, they, they have done a pretty good job of, of dragging themselves into the 21st century of, of media and building a relationship with the, the basic entity in town media-wise, which is the LA Times. So yeah. I don't begrudge them that. I just wish that, that the beat writer was a little less obvious. They're not going to get Plashkey because he's already turned sour on the regime but they they have that beat writer and that's fine he'll he'll maybe get the story when clay elton gets fired you know that's 
the equity in the media here. And I'm not talking to somebody who doesn't understand that. Yeah. Uh, but it's just a little too obvious for me to act like it's a great thing. I just, I think it's good if you're a USC person, but I don't think it's, was this too long winded? No, no, it's fine. Like we, I wanted you, you were cut off there. So we wanted to get like, make you let you finish your thought. We had a lot of positive feedback on the site from part one of this. Uh, but one of the things people were kind of pushing back on was it, they, they were, you're, they were questioning what you were saying about Pete, the Pete Carroll era, that Pete Carroll was the one, the reason why USC got the sanctions and all that. If you felt like he was a dirty coach, that's what they were implying, that it sounded like he was a dirty coach. Yeah, look, uh, if you look at any great program, even Ohio State in the Trestle years, that has had a lot of success, there's usually some kind of backlash afterwards. You know, we've seen it in Miami. I mean, the situation at USC is not very different. What Pete Carroll built at USC was awesome. The competition he built in practice, the way he went about his job, putting the best players on defense, emphasizing defense, hiring Norm Chow and giving him the money, that, that stuff is legendary. Those teams are legendary and the accomplishments are legendary. But the truth is, he swallowed his own bait in a lot of ways. I mean, lest we forget that Pete Carroll literally took the USC PR department away from USC PR, created his own website called USC Rips It, and broke all the news through that. I mean, he controlled literally everything about the football program top to bottom, which is fine. I mean, that he was a coach of that caliber. But when you have that and it's followed by crippling sanctions, then it's on Pete Carroll. And whatever people want to think about or remember positively, I do too. I mean, it was a great era and it certainly helped me and, and all of us that covered USC football in that time. But it wasn't perfect. And it led to what we have now. And it ruined a generation, at least, of USC football players. So I think it has to be taken with a grain of salt. Another point I always make that people are very uncomfortable with is that Pete Carroll was going to get fired if he didn't leave for the Seahawks. You know, those are the worst sanctions since SMU. The first Heisman winner in Los Angeles, Mike Garrett, did not survive those sanctions. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I, I'm sorry if people don't don't like the truth, but that is the truth. Uh Pete took control of the program and there was a lack of institutional control when he was behind the wheel. And all you had to do was hang out at Lake Du or the House of Blues Foundation room on any given night to know what was going on with USC football. And a lot of it wasn't pretty. A lot of it was glamorous. A lot of it was fun. The national media ate it up, but there was a blowback. And uh, we're still suffering from that blowback, all of us in West Coast football. And sure, I blame uh, I blame Mike Garrett too for being too weak of a leader to take control of Pete Carroll at a certain point. Uh, all those things, you know, and it's I'm not revising history. You know, the revisionist history is just the the glory years and the celebration. But and you can criticize the NCAA as much as you want. I think they did a terrible job as far as USC is concerned too. Certainly, but USC is complicit and very much part of their own demise. And Pete Carroll's a big part of that, too. What do you think about the, the Reggie Bush situation? This is the 10-year, I guess it's 10-year anniversary or whatever, that 10 years of... Yeah, uh, you know, you know. I, I don't begrudge 
anybody for taking anything as a football player. You know, it's against the rules. And uh, I mean, I came from different circumstances. Uh, there were times a lot of the time when I was broke, when I was playing college football and, and hungry, uh, just like everybody else. But that was just more out of irresponsibility. But uh, I mean, I've seen all those situations from when my brother played to when the team used to come around the restaurant and I was a kid till my own years as a player and then afterwards. And I saw Reggie Bush's stuff up close and he was grossly irresponsible and unapologetic about it. And it's really how it was handled in the aftermath by everybody that created the problem. It was not the problem itself. Like so many things that happen that are controversial, the cover up and the response to whoever the governing body is uh, was much worse than the crime. And I mean, Reggie really still hasn't addressed it, honestly, which is very interesting since he works in college football and the media. Uh, and no one asked him a question. And if they do, uh, they skirt around it or they talk about it before the interview and they set guidelines. So, you know, to me, it's uh, it's really a lot of water under the bridge. It's there's a lot of people that love Reggie and what he brought to USC. I, I think he's one of the most electric football players I've ever had the pleasure of, of covering. But I think a lot of that situation is on him and his family. And most of it, to me, that I really condemn is the way it was handled in the aftermath. And that's everybody. That's Garrett, Reggie, Reggie's camp, uh, Pete, USC for being unable to get Reggie into a real deposition and actually say what happened. Uh, all of those things uh, are just things that people forget about conveniently. And that's fine. I get it. But I, I think there's a lot of blame to go around. But to, it really is the aftermath that, that was the problem. You have any issues? Because, it, you know, I think it'll be in a couple of days when the 10 years is up, then USC would be allowed by the NCAA to allow him back. Any issues with that? No, I mean, we got Al Cowling's name on a building. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it doesn't take away what Reggie accomplished on the field. Uh, not at all. And I don't think it should because yeah. those were great teams and he inspired a generation of, of players too. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of good with the bad. No, I have no, I'm not, you know, I'm not the police for USC to say who can and can't beat around the program. Uh, he's, I mean, I know even now that he's banned, he's probably more welcome there than I am. Uh, and rightfully so, he's accomplished so much more as a football player, uh, negatively and positively. Do you think he'll get his Heisman back or you think that's a possibility? Or? Oh, I don't know. That's the Heisman trust. Maybe yeah. at some point if when the old guard passes away, I don't. I mean, I don't even have a Heisman vote. That's how illegitimate I am as a football analyst. I've been calling national college football games since 2004, and and Steve Hartman has a Heisman vote, and I don't. But I have one too. I don't want to burst. I know you do, and you deserve it. You deserve, and I don't. That's just how it is. Oh, you you should have one. (laughs) There's like 900 people that vote, so it's not like. I'll email the guy and like say, hey, no. Petros, you know, if you want to vote. The stripping of titles, the vacation of uh, things, you know, the vacating of things, I should say. You know, it doesn't, I, I mean, it, it, I don't think it matters. Uh, it, that's just grandstanding by the NCAA. I don't think they should have taken it away 
or banned him or what. I mean, it's not my call and I don't really care either. I mean, there's a lot of people that would be happy if he was back on campus. I just wish they would address the whole thing honestly a little more. And they've, you know, they've had that chance for decades now and haven't. So that's probably not going to change. They might, this might, we'll see. I'm curious to see what the the athletic department does. Um, They've got a bunch of people asking questions for you. We had one from George on YouTube. Can you uh, ask Petros if there's anything about the team about which he is bullish? He has to appreciate how recruiting has improved. Great to get MJ today. So USC picked up a uh, a receiver commit from uh, Las Vegas, Michael Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's great that uh, that USC is recruiting. And John Wilner said it best. There's only one year USC didn't recruit well, and it was last year. You know, up at USC is a recruiting power. That's that's not the problem at USC. Uh, it's good to get recruits. You need them if you're a college football team. You have to develop your players. And I don't know if I said this on your show yesterday or somebody else's show or my show or what the hell, but you can agree with me that the last three years of UCLA football have been the worst in their history. You can really argue that, especially when you look at who's in the Rose Bowl. And they have outdrafted USC in the NFL draft in the last three years, 22 to 21. And you and your recruiting experts know a lot more about those classes than I do. But let me tell you something. USC's were up here (laughs) and UCLA's were down here. And UCLA still put more guys in the NFL with terrible teams performance-wise in the last three years as opposed to USC. That's a glaring problem. And maybe you feel better about Todd Orlando or some of the assistants that have been brought in to develop players. To me, the inspiration for the staff comes from the head man, and it has to be a head man that's not afraid of his staff taking his job. Clearly, Clay Helton climbed the ladder of chaos to get the job in the first place. You know, the Helton family, notorious for protecting their own and and protecting their jobs and keeping themselves insulated. That was what the dad taught the sons. I've known him for a long time, like we said. So it's great that they're recruiting. I expect USC to recruit. They need to staff and develop players. And we're not talking about a one-year anomaly with uh, with lack of development. We're talking about a one-year anomaly with lack of recruiting. You know, that's not the problem. USC, the letters recruit themselves. I got Carson Palmer to sign with Paul Hackett. And guess what? It had nothing to do with me. You know, he was coming. You know, there's going to be wildly, you know, Adoree, Robert Woods, you know. Those guys were going to come. You know, that's USC football. That's always going to be USC football. Yeah. Uh, the, the trick is to get those guys to their dream in the NFL and develop them as young men. And right now, I just don't feel like they're doing that. Certainly not at a high enough level to compete nationally or to warrant the the fanfare that they bring to themselves. Yeah. We had another YouTube question. Uh, Daniels Daly. Uh, I'm not okay with USC dwelling in mediocrity with Helton as the head coach. As, as as much talent as they've recruited, does anything short of playing in the college football playoff save Helton as head coach? You know, I don't I don't know. Uh, I couldn't imagine that they kept him this year or the year before. So anything that happens doesn't surprise me anymore because these aren't decisions that are being made logically, to me at least, clearly. But I don't care if USC football wants to be mediocre. 
I don't care if USC football wants to have Clay Elton as the head coach and sell Graham Harrell as the as the second coming of, of Charlie Weiss or an offensive genius. Maybe he is. Like, none of those things, Bob, I don't care if USC has the head coach that's paid somewhere near the middle of the pack in the conference. You know, none of that bothers me. I care about don't urinate in my face and tell me that it's raining. You know, don't tell me how great it is. If USC wants to downgrade football, you know, and if the West Coast wants to downgrade football and not compete, if they're not willing to do what it takes to compete with the Ohio States and the LSUs and the Alabamas of the world, and we've seen them lined up on the, on the ball with these teams, and it ain't pretty. And we're talking about for, you know, over six or seven years we've seen this. I mean, they got blown off the ball by Iowa, and that wasn't even that good of an Iowa team. You know, talented, sure, but not as talented as USC or not supposed to be as talented as USC. So, you know, to me, if if USC wants to be more like UCLA football-wise and celebrate, uh, you know, the crew team or something, that's fine. That's great, you know. But stop selling the past like like this is this guy's going to be like, uh, you know, Keyshawn or this guy's going to be like – Big Mike Williams, or this guy's going to be like Marcus Allen, because that ain't it. You know, the air raid's not it. Uh, Todd Orlando, the the linebackers coach from Texas Tech, ain't it. That that's not the change needed to to make them legitimate. That would that would warrant, you know, the way they celebrate themselves. Like I said, so it really doesn't bother me if USC wants to take a step back. Clearly, they have wanted to. They don't they don't pay a head coach or let the guy staff. And they, they just recently hired just a basically comparable staff to recruit with other people in their conference, let alone the people they're still supposed to compete against. You know all this. Yeah. So, you know, I don't see I don't see any kind of commitment. I just see. Did we get do we do this again? Uh, let's try. Let's see. Let me check. Sorry, everybody. We will get him back no matter what. So, um, Petra's going off again. Uh, hope you guys were enjoying that so far. Let me, uh, I will, we might have, if we have to stop the broadcast, we will, and we'll come right back on um, if he can't rejoin. So that's what we're going to do. Um, I don't know if there's something with his internet connection, but this has happened a couple of times, obviously. Uh, but we will get it back on. Don't worry about that. If you're on, uh, I think Periscope is going to. Um, he's not responded. Yeah, uh, but get to, we've uh, been able to put up some of your questions from... Uh, our YouTube page, so we'll continue to do that. There was also some questions from the Peristyle. I'm waiting to hear back from Petros right now. We've had uh, people drop out and drop and come back in. Um, if that's not going to work, then I will have to probably uh, start restart it again. But if we do that, we'll uh, the the broadcast will stop for a second. I just need to re reset it and then we'll like jo have him join back in and then we'll restart the broadcast uh if that's the case okay okay he says trying to rejoin 
I will. I'm gonna have to stop the broadcast. We'll get them back on. What happened? I don't know. Mine just froze. Oh, just froze. Okay. I think we're coming back. You know how PV is. PV, yeah. Somewhere. Next time I'll come in. Yeah, we'll do that. Um, okay. Looks like we're looks like we're back on. Perfect. Sorry, everybody, for that. We got them back though this time. So we're always gonna let it happen. There's this is tech. People are like Keely. When Keely, this is what happens when Keely's not there. This is not what happens when Keeley's not there. This is a, there's issues going on. I'm sorry, there's technical issues. It's hard to do this during the coronavirus. I have to produce and host all this stuff myself. So my apologies to everybody, but we're back. Uh, I think you're doing a great job. Well, well, thanks, Petros. Yeah, although you you did call me out for being an engineer and not being able to get my Zoom working. Oh, I'm getting you today again, too. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I promote things. It was, pretty, it was kind of funny. So, um, well, we had a- Kind of. It, it, I texted you right when that happened. It was, it was pretty good. Uh, oh, wait, that was a, the question we already had. Sorry, let me pull up a different one. Oh, we had one on the uh, the peristyle. You were talking about the offense a little bit. So Coliseum fan said, Petrus has been critical of the offense. What scheme would he like to see and who should run it? Well, I mean, they should run a pro-style offense because they're USC. And pro-style doesn't necessarily mean what it used to. But you, you have to be able to have a fullback and a tight end available more than just a little. Now, USC does use a tight end a little bit more than most people in an air raid. But X's and O's wise, you have to be able to pull your offensive linemen or move them. So they can take a little bit more football out of your opponent. You think about that marquee step game, Notre Dame. And in the air raid, it's very interesting. If you have a physical back, He's the only guy that is available that can take anything out of the defense throughout a game to where they get tired of tackling him and you can run clock and you know do the stuff that mostly you don't do in the air raid anyway. Nobody gets enough momentum up front to really do damage on people. So you're not really playing a physical brand of football. You know, there's different ways to win football games and different philosophies, but Usually the air raid is for people that don't stack up physically against their opponents. There's a reason Mike Leach has coached it at places like Starkville, uh, Pullman, Lubbock, because it kind of is an equalizer. It spreads the field. It makes you kind of work a shell game. A lot of the ways the Oregon offense, when it first started out under Chip Kelly, was really innovative. But if you have the personnel like USC, what you should be able to do is take football out of your opponent. At least that's what I feel. Because if you're in a shootout every week and that's what the air raid is, it doesn't help your defense at all. And you have an offensive head coach anyway and an air raid offensive coordinator, they're always going to err on the side of the offense. To me, the best decision makers as head coaches usually are guys with a defensive background because usually they have the best interests of the whole team just in their mind and their DNA where the offense has the best interest. You know, offensive coaches always thinking, well, if that safety turns his hips, we can get him. And, you know, to me, okay, you win one week like that and next week you're going to lose that way. If you're USC and you can bring up the people up front and you hire real – offensive line coaches and defensive line coaches to develop those people, then you, then you're, because you already have the skill people and the quarterbacks and all that. Now you're once again competing 
with the Ohio states of the world. But, and that's what I would do. I, I concentrate up front. It's just like the best NFL teams, just like the best college football teams. But right now, USC doesn't have a head coach like that and not a coordinator like that and really not an O-line coach like that that's been proven over the years. So to me, that's what I would do. I'd, I'd concentrate more. And then you can really exploit things on the edge so much more so, especially as the game goes on, you know. Don't ever forget, Lane Kiffin never called plays for a national championship team at USC. Norm Chow did. Lane Kiffin called plays like a kid driving a Ferrari. Norm Chow knew. He did. And people don't want to give him credit. And Pete certainly didn't want to and all that. Norm Chow knew, even more than Sark, who's a better play caller, in my opinion, than Lane. Norm Chow knew how to use USC's talent to the utmost degree throughout a game, as opposed to how many yards did Marquise Lee have, how many yards did Robert Woods have. You know, that's the difference. And I think that's really been the difference in USC football's offense since he left. They had many years of success after Norm, but never to the level that they got. They, they need to get back to that. Uh, a, a coordinator that understands the game top to bottom and a head coach that's going to help the defense a little bit more. Well, yeah, Supercharging 5 on the Peristyle wanted to know, what's your opinion on JT Daniels transferring and the quarterback depth? And he also wanted to know what your favorite moment as a player was. <laughs> uh, the quarterback depth is interesting because they don't have it, right? But uh, And that affects them much more so than maybe some other teams because of the nature of the air raid. I mean, USC, correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, USC had three quarterbacks knocked out last year. Yeah. So that, that was, would be they JT, played three different guys. JT yeah. and Slovis twice. And then you have Slovis got knocked Matt. out early and then he got knocked out in the bowl game. And then Matt Jake again. Yeah. Yeah. And then JT got knocked out uh in the first game. So I would be desperately worried about it because you're in an offense where if that guy doesn't get the ball out, then he's at risk. And you saw exactly what it looked like with JT in the first game. Uh, he turned his back on the rush and his, his knee blew. It was terrible. So I would be really worried about the quarterback depth. And I'm sure they have a plan, but it it's just not it's not a good offense to run unless you have another guy. And you see a lot of these guys, whoever they put in, has found a way to have success. Yeah. You know, Jack Sears had a great game against ASU that USC blew. Uh, Matt Fink led a led him to victory over Stanford. I mean, they've had Utah, Utah, yeah, or Utah. Utah excuse me, they've yeah. had some great moments. And uh, Slovis led him to victory over Utah, and that was you know mind boggling at the time. Uh, so I would worry about the depth as far as JT goes. You know, JT is just one of those quarterbacks to me that has been anointed so early in his career. They were comparing him to Sam Darnold in the media room before he even put on the uniform in a real capacity and started a game. And that was a loss up against Stanford. And T. Martin said, well, I don't care what anybody says. I told him you should be in high school. It's like, well, why'd you start him then? <laughs> uh, you know, there so many incongruities. But to me, it was pretty clear that JT Daniels did not want to compete or had some kind of deal to where he wasn't going to have to compete at USC to play quarterback. And I was really surprised when he transferred to Georgia because too, yeah. he's going to have to compete for the job there. And I salute him. 
And I hope he wins that job, and I hope he has a great career there. He'll be much better protected there. I'm sure his father will think the offense is boring. But that's going to be – there will not be a bevy of protectors for him in the media when he gets out there. And if he does not play well or doesn't win the job, they're, they're going to tell the truth. Uh, he's going to find it very different from the cocoon of the Southern California softness. And I think it's going to be it, – it's the best thing for him. And if he goes and wins that job, it's going to be iron sharpening iron and and earning it. So I I, I can't wait to see what happens. You know, I have some cynical friends, and I remember texting a guy. I said, "JT to Georgia?" with a question mark, and he texted me, "You know, where's he going to go after that?" So <laughs> uh, I, I thought he'd end up at a place like San Jose State, where he could just go and start every game, and it was never going to be a question. But I'm I'm interested to see how it plays out. And I wish him luck. They have a bunch of – they have a transfer who's probably going to start this year from Wake Forest. They have a four-star out of Jacksonville that's going to be in the room and uh, that's in the room right now that's a that's an early entry. And they have a, a transfer from Nevada, Reno, who came back home uh, for a family situation. So it, it, he's going to compete. Yeah. Did you have a favorite moment? He also Your favorite oh. moment as a player? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm the same as most guys – that the moments of of when you score a touchdown or something in a football game in the Coliseum and there's a bunch of people in there or you do it on the road or you watch your teammates do it or you're out on the field when good things are happening or on the sideline, all that stuff. I mean, you're, there's not enough pores in your body to absorb the moment when you're a kid. You just and, – and probably when you're older, you just – you just don't, you can't, you don't remember it like that. You just remember these moments of your heart beating fast and your head bouncing around in the face mask. At least that's the way it was for me. You know, great athletes tell you, tell you how things slowed down for them at some point. It never, <laughs> things never really slowed down for me. So uh, all those moments out on the field are, are one thing, but my favorite moments were the moments of just the moment are the normal moments on the plane or on the bus or in camp and things that you really kind of granted then when you're all together in this one moment with the people. And I found it so interesting over the years, not just ex-teammates, but guys that I played against. And, you know, I don't know them from Adam, just guys that you played against and you knew them from watching tape or reading the newspaper back then. And I'll see one of those guys, you know, now in our 40s, and we hug like brothers, you know, a, you know, a guy that played for Colorado or a guy, and you knew you played against each other in this moment when you were younger. And that's the stuff that impacts me to this day. You know, you hear about a teammate who's having health struggles or, you know, somebody's been in an accident. You know, we've had guys pass away. Uh, that's the stuff that really jumps out to me. As far as favorite moment, out on the field, you know, we weren't great teams, but man, you know, you just can't imagine what it's like to take the ball in the Coliseum, you know, in that uniform and the hole opens up and the people in the crowd see the hole. Like, you know, we talk about how sports are not going to have crowds and we're going to probably get used to it for a little while. Uh, hopefully not football, but we'll see. But, you know, that crowd sees it when you see it and, you know, your whole day and you just get this jolt you know, and it's not like a scrimmage, you know, it's not like, it, you know, and that stuff's tough too, but the, those moments where it's like there's lightning in your body because there's 80,000 people and that great band and 
you know, the tunnel you walk down, you know, all that stuff. It's just, you can't describe it for people without sounding sappy. But the great moments are, you know, for me, we're on the bus in the locker room laughing and joking and, you know, being a teammate. Yeah, cool stuff. Uh, we've, I forgot to mention at the top, there's a little bit of breaking news came out yesterday. So the USC President Carol Fultz said that, um, you know, they were going to have in-person. Uh, you wanted classes. to talk about Grey Gardens. <laughs> yeah, I know. I talked about Grey Gardens because you brought that up. But um, any thoughts on, on, on that? Yeah, uh, I, I saw when John Wilner tweeted it, uh, tweeted something about it. And you know, to me, the best journalists that cover West Coast football, other than you, obviously, are, uh, you, you know, I love Scott Wolf, who does, I think, does a great job with USC, although he's very mean. And, uh, very mean, yeah. but, you know, John Wilner, I think, does an unbelievable job he's, up in the Bay great, Area. Yeah. The Pope of the Pack is what I call him. And John Canzano up in Oregon. I mean, those guys are kind of like my brothers, you know. Yeah. And, I do a Pac-12 podcast, and I get those guys on because they're just really good at their jobs, you know. Yeah, and they love the conference, Yeah, you know, like Chris Dufresne, God rest his soul. You know, guys like that are my inspiration. And Wilner tweeted something last night after Carol Fultz tweet or the news came out and said something like, well, what about the California laws? This might not, you know, line up. And I said, don't worry, USC's got a bit of a lobby. <laughs> USC has government advocacy. Uh, I expected the Pac-12 to kind of follow suit with everybody and then the, the schools within the Pac-12 to follow suit. It'll be interesting. I don't know for sure, but it'll be interesting to see what Stanford does and how Stanford, you know, because we all have so much respect for the think tank up in uh, Palo Alto. Or it's called Stanford, California now. Right, but, they changed it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they get mad. They'll come in the booth now if you say, welcome back to Palo Alto. I mean, they'll oh. kick your door in. Yeah, <laughs> it's like saying Southern Cal. Uh, but it, it's, uh, I, I think it's a sign that things are headed in the right direction. And uh, we just turned to June. So it looks like we're rolling forward. And hopefully we get to have college football. And it's so meaningful for us on the yeah. West Coast, but you know, think about somebody in, in you know, Lincoln, Nebraska, those those six weeks a year, that's that's your whole life, you yeah. know. So uh, I hope we have it and I hope it's safe and I, I hope that it's done in a nice uniform way. College football's weird because it's all fragmented. And we love this sport, but it's very different. You know, Adam Silver does such a great job because the NBA just you saw the news break today. He says it, they figure it out, everybody respects his leadership, and they roll. Yeah, And it's kind of come to the point where the other leagues are following the NBA, where the Pac-12 is kind of like following the other conferences, like the Big 12 and the SEC and, and the Big 10. Uh, they're not really innovators anymore since they did that great TV deal. Yeah, that's been that's been terrible. Are you are you an advocate for like a college football czar, like someone to be like the Roger Goodell of college football since they're not really you know, it's hard because you know you got uh you know our our universities are so different yeah. some are public schools when you're dealing with ucla you know what it's like to deal with a uc system and people within it are frustrated with all the bureaucracy stanford a place like that you got to deal with this whole board of, of you know condoleezza rice and all these trustees just to just to bring a recruit in uh you know, a school like Washington has this really powerful booster group that everybody's scared of called the Tyees. You know, the circumstance of every school is so dramatically different that it's kind of hard 
to get everybody on the same page. And that's kind of why college football is cool because there's so much tribalism and so much diversity, you know, from the different regions. You know, an NFL game in Jacksonville feels a lot like an NFL game in Minnesota, really. Uh, they play the same music. They run the same offense. It's the same type of coaches. College football has diversity, and that's part of the fun of it. But one thing I would like to do is just the Pac-12 to sell itself to the NBA and let Adam Silver run the Pac-12, if he could. And maybe that would bring us immediate legitimacy. You know, hire a new – that would be a great way for Larry Scott just to bow out, say, hey, we're going to let the NBA run it. They seem to have it all figured out. Yeah. But uh, it's really hard to get everybody on the same page. Obviously, that's why it's never happened. Yeah. Um, we had a question on the Peristyle from Sarkboy uh, on Colin's podcast. Petros, uh, Petros mentioned control over the program being the big obstacle to hiring a big-time head coach at USC. Now that Mike Bowen and Brandon Sosner are at the helm and the previous Heritage Hall lifers, uh, Lopes or Jacobson, are gone. Jacobson There's still a lot there. He says, uh, does Petros think there's been enough new blood injected into the athletic department to compete at the highest level? Well... Look, in order to have the highest level of success, you look at the situation at Clemson. You have a president that supports the AD, that supports the head coach. You look at the situation at Oklahoma for years with Bob Stoops. He had great support from the AD, great support from the president. You know, everybody was on the same page moving forward. You know, Ohio State's obviously had a lot of issues, but... They, they were able to successfully move on from Urban Meyer. And at least last year was an indicator of that. So it, it's not just, hey, we got some new blood. We hired a film guy. We hired a new president. We hired, I mean, the new president got hired and then kept Clay Helton. <laughs> the new president got hired, hired an athletic director to fire the head coach and kept the head coach. It just seems backwards and crazy. And new blood is great, yes, but... It has to be the right new blood, and they all have to be on the same page. And it seems like, and again, if USC wants to be a team that play, pays the head coach in the middle of the pack and ends up in the middle of the pack every year and loses in the Holiday Bowl, that's cool. If that's what it's going to be, that's fine. It's going to kill West Coast football, but say that's what it is. But if you really want to compete like the fans on here think they should and like the rest of the conference needs them to, you got to have a president, an AD, and a head coach who has power and clout, who you let hire assistants and pay them, all on the same page. And if that doesn't happen, then it's going to be the same, I think, kind of roller coaster ride, mostly downs and mediocrity that it's been for the last decade. Uh, we got one question. I don't. You probably have to go pretty soon, but we'll do one. I got a few. Time. I got a few minutes. I don't have to leave for Burbank till one. Okay. Uh, Matt, uh, 82562. Question for Petros. What do you think the big picture future of West Coast football is? Will the Pac-12 ever be relevant nationally again? Coward and others seem convinced uh, that big, talented linemen uh, are just too rare on the West Coast to compete. Does this ring true to you? Or are, just, are things just as uh, cyclical as they've always been? Also, when's the last time you ran out of gas flying solo in the carpool on the 110? Thanks, Ryan, for having the old P on the show. I'm a little more responsible now that I'm a father, but uh, I still make social errors every day. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what was the question? Oh, <laughs> so about um, like the West Coast. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
Uh, obviously, the Pac-12 made a terrible, terrible mistake with their network. They had the opportunity to partner with actual TV networks like everybody else did that made money hand over fist when you had the big conference realignment and all that. So the SEC did a deal with ESPN. The Big 12 didn't do the best deal, but they still did a better deal than the Pac-12. And the Big 10 did their network with Fox. And all that stuff started to roll out. And the Pac-12 decided to take on this unbelievable task of becoming a media company and making all the very well-documented mistakes that they made under Larry Scott. And if you know the history of the Pac-10, you know, when I was younger, Tom Hansen was the commissioner. And when I was calling the game of the week, he was like a chemistry teacher or something. I mean, he was a really nice old man. I mean, he was like a grandfather. And he was a dinosaur. And he was the kind of guy who, if he went to Tucson, would have his brother-in-law pick him up, you know, and stay at his you know, family's house. You know, he was that type of guy. Larry Scott's like Larry Scott. Has, you know, if he goes a block, it's a motorcade and a limousine, you know, and, you know, he's got to have this headquarters, uh, a castle in the sky. I mean, we could not find a happy medium, honestly. Yeah. And now the train has left the station. The, the conference doesn't have value anymore. So any deal that they did end up making now in like whatever, whenever this deal is up, which is in a few years still. Yeah, 2024. Exactly. Like when I saw Larry Scott leading the press conference and the conference is literally bleeding out saying, well, we are really set up great for 2024. It's like by 2024, we're going to be the Mountain West yeah, or worse. And the whole lineman thing, I think, is a cop out. Uh, Washington's been able to develop people up front. Stanford, when they lost, Bloomgren has kind of fallen there. But I mean, you, you Utah just does a good to, job. Utah does a good job. You have to commit to, to developing people up front. Yeah, it's uh, that's a recruit. That's a Greg Biggins cop out, and that I, I don't want to hear. I love Greg, but that you, if if you find guy Rocky Long can find people that run block or could at San Diego State every year, a bunch of fat, ugly guys, and he, you, I, I'm serious. You just have to be dedicated to doing it. It's not fun making that sausage, but yeah. that's the sausage that Alabama makes. And that Ohio, even if Ohio State spread out, Oklahoma spread out, but they will take the game physically to you and eat you alive with the run game. And USC just can't do it. The second they started to do it, the, the poor tailback couldn't breathe a, a poor marquee step against Notre Dame, probably because he didn't expect to get the ball. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so to me, West Coast football can only be saved by dramatic change at USC and some dramatic change with the TV deal with the Pac-12. And sadly, I think it's too late. Uh, we might be decades away from that. I, I, it's hard to say how much irreparable damage has been done to the conference by Larry Scott. Uh, the only real quick fix is USC starting to attract the attention of, of the country like they did back in the Pete Carroll days. Yeah, I think USC needs now to we be just the, attract controversy. Right. USC needs to be the Clemson, and that would help the, the Pac-12. Correct. And that's what they were in Pete Carroll's days. Yeah. You know, they really did raise the level of the conference because Pete Carroll was just so top-heavy in the Pac-12, and that's Clemson. But guess what? Clemson versus North Carolina State is a huge game because Clemson's playing in it, and that's why the conference needs SC. You're going to Tucson at night on a Thursday. What's going to happen? You know, 
everybody will watch. That's that's the problem. Uh, oh, Rick, do you feel, he says, money drives all. I see a super alignment soon. So do you think there could be some kind of major changes as far as- Sure. Uh, you know, once this ca ca karmic wave hit us of conference realignment, it really was like rivalries, geography, tradition, be damned. A lot of that went out the window. There's a couple things that USC's hung on to, like the Cal Stanford, the Notre Dame, the not playing non-FBS opponents. I, I support all of that stuff as an old school USC guy. But I think that there is really no limit to what might happen. The only thing that I would say, and I'm not a macro business person at all, but these it would be hard to line up all the contracts for the conference TV deals. Yeah, I think there's stuff. There was a, an idea that we were kicking around before. I'm not a big soccer guy, but having some sort of like super, I think Stuart Mandel put it, I, I wrote a little story on it. But Of course. Having uh, like 40, 36 teams or something, and you have like four divisions and it's like you have relegation. So you would have just, everyone's just playing each other. And then, so just for football, like the other stuff would say the same. Dude, I thought it was a really interesting idea. I don't yeah. Know USC is going to open up at Troy State. Let's go. No, I mean, they would play the good team. You would only play the good teams. Your schedule I, you know, would they? I mean, I, <laughs> no, I think the point was you would have like 36 teams and you'd play everyone in your division, but the out of division, you'd play like Ohio well, State, I, Alabama. I'm trying to wrap my head around the NBA's thing today. I'm yeah. going to have to sit there and act like I understand that in about two hours. I, I don't need Stewart's, uh, Stewart's uh, beautiful mind stuff, although I know Stewart. Uh, he's a great writer and a great college football person. Uh, I, nothing surprises me, but, you know, just like a whole football team, it's kind of hard to get all 85 guys on scholarship on the same page about anything. Yeah. Music to play in the weight room, politics, uh, what we should be eating, uh, you know, all that stuff. And so it, it's pretty hard to get everybody on the same page in, in college football. But it's become so much more regional now that I think we're kind of losing more of that national perspective that we used to have during, I guess, more of the West Coast college football craze when our glory years, you know, the Pete Carroll era, really. Yeah. Uh, we'll end it with this one. So Coley's our resident uh, Notre Dame fan. He, he loves the show. He's on all the time. But he wanted to know if you'd ever thought about playing at Notre Dame before. But he also said, what's the most important game this year, Notre Dame or UCLA? Well, UCLA was the first team uh, to actually recruit me. Uh, I was uh, a problematic person as a young guy, <laughs> and uh, and UCLA ended up dropping me. But wow. I was very close. We, you know, we were close friends with Terry Donahue. He's married to a Greek lady. They used to come in a restaurant all the time. Wayne Moses was the running back coach, and they, they didn't offer me, but I almost went there. And uh, Notre Dame, there's no way in hell. I just didn't have the transcript. Same with uh, Stanford, who was really heavy on me. But once I sent the transcript, they didn't even call back. But, but you went to Cal first, though, right? You started at Cal, actually. Yes, I signed with Cal at a high school and uh, screwed that up royally and embarrassed <laughs> myself publicly, shamed the family right. and came home and, and came to SC with my tail between my legs and had to climb out of that. But... It's hard to say what's more important. I don't know if it's still like this, but when I played, you know, we play against UCLA and whatever bad words you could get out of your mouth through your mouthpiece, you say them. 
we there we despised each other. I mean, there was blood hatred. Uh, and that was in the midst of the eight years. And the teams I was on broke that streak. And it was really gratifying. But, I mean, I I hate to say it, but we wanted to hurt those guys. You know, Brandon Ibadejo grabbed my ankle in a pile, looked at me in my face and turned it all the way around. Uh, and it pop, 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 pop. And then I had to, you know, numb it up at halftime and couldn't even feel my leg in the same. You know, that was the kind of... You know, and it wasn't a natural play. It was dirty. And I'm not saying we weren't doing stuff like that. I mean, Cody Smith in my dad's era bit UCLA quarterback Dennis Dummett's ass. Bit his ass and took a chunk out of his his literal buttocks to where he needed to be stitched up. Oh, my God. Get Dummett on. You know, that's SC UCLA. I mean, it is – it was when I played. It, You know – People are friends on social media now, and maybe things are different. But, I mean, we hated those people. Hated them. Now I love everybody that I see. We hug and kiss and talk about old times. But uh, in those days, it was ugly. Notre Dame was prideful. We didn't talk. You know, in my time, Notre Dame, you know, and they're like this again with Brian Kelly. They were scary up front. Whether they were good or bad, you felt it physically after the, the game, you, they bludgeoned you and you were going to hit and be hit. And in my time, they would put up the Marv Goo posters and say big man on big man and all that lore. And it felt it in the game. We didn't speak in the game much at all. Yeah. Not even Jimmy Friday, who wore the number 13. Uh, <laughs> it was it, it, it was different. It was like it was it was different. It, it was a it was a more you felt like you were more part of history at SC UCLA you felt more like you wanted to watch that guy bleed out. Yeah, I guess one of the things they always say is like <laughs> you, it's, the the best joy is beating Notre Dame, but like the worst feeling is losing to UCLA. Something along yeah. those lines. Yeah, uh, we beat Notre Dame in '97, and uh, we on Adam Abrams kick, and we did about $40,000 worth of damage to the visiting locker room because the, the ceilings, if you've been in there, you know, are really low and everybody started jumping and J-Rob was like, don't do it, oh, please. And, uh, and, you know, I remember losing to UCLA and walking off the field in 98 after Cade tried to slip around the end and Chris Claiborne had to run him down and throw him out of bounds for our pride. And the, the whole Rose Bowl, I mean, all of them, they were chanting eight more years and walking off the field. I got hit in the head with a bottle. Oh, geez. And, uh, and I, we all got on the bus. And, of course, the obligatory, even with the police escort, took three and a half hours to get out of uh, the canyon. And, yeah, <laughs> I, I would say that's perfectly described. Not a good feeling. All right. Well, Petros Papadakis, he's got to go off to his show. Uh, Petros and Buddy, make sure you check it out, AM570. Hopefully we have college football back. Uh, we will. We're gonna and if not, I can always come back and tell you about my favorite movie, Orson Welles in The Third Man. The Third Man. Okay. Joseph you know, Cotton. How old is that one? Is that pretty Post-war old? Vienna. Oh. I think 1953. Post war, I, I do love World War II stuff, so that'd be. Oh, well, you're gonna love this. Okay, well, oh, there, you got the the poster there and everything. Nice. I have a skateboard too. I have a third man skateboard. 
All right. Well, Petros knows all kinds of stuff. He can talk about whatever, like, music you want to hear, like some crazy stuff. Look at that. Hold on. Let me put the whole. Nice. The third man. Orson Welles. Cool to yourselves, people. <laughs> like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. Uh, Petra, I mean, uh, Petra's been covering that for years, but he'll also know about <laughs> the underground music scene, whatever your favorite reggae band is, great old movies. Petros knows all that stuff. So he's a well-rounded individual. Well, thank you for having me. And I appreciate everybody at uh, uscfootball.com. Long live the memory of our friend Gary Paskowitz. For sure. And uh, thank you for having me. It's always fun to uh, to talk to everybody. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Petros, for coming on. I hope well, you do great work. No, you do too. And make sure you guys check them out, uh, Pedros and Money. So thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show and we will talk to you next time. Final. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.